Hello, I'm Ryan. And I'm Brody. And this is the High Volatility Experience. Okay, Ryan, so in the past few weeks, Biden has been executing his plan on bringing American manufacturing back to America. And what this means is he has introduced his $2.25 trillion infrastructure plan and job package, which is one of the largest, most significant investments ever directed towards U.S. unemployment markets and manufacturing. Absolutely. The bill will support and invest in basically everything in America. Transportation, improving the quality of life at home. This is the largest part of the bill, amounting to $650 billion. There's plans to improve public housing, clinics, and hospitals. Another $400 billion is going to improve access to affordable and adequate housing and care for the elderly and improving the Medicaid program, as well as boosting the pay for care workers. And finally, $300 billion will be going towards research development and manufacturing, emphasizing the domestic market. About $50 billion notably are going towards semiconductors, which will be a topic for next week. So, I listed off just about everything. This bill basically covers everything concerning American lives and livelihood. So the question becomes, Brody, where is this money coming from? So it's a good question, Ryan. The money is coming from Biden's plan to raise the corporate tax rate to 28%, up from 21%, after President Donald Trump's Tax Cuts Act in 2017. This lowered the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%. So... In Obama's presidency, they were at 35%, and for a long time before that, they were 35%. And this tax raise, the House estimates that they will be able to pay off this huge $2.3 trillion bill in around the next 15 years. Right. So this plan, the plan to raise the corporate tax rate, it's called the Made in America Tax Plan. And diving further into this plan, Biden also wants to increase the minimum tax on U.S. corporations and investments overseas to 21%. Basically, this global minimum corporate tax was proposed by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. And what this does is this serves to eliminate or minimize tax loopholes employed by corporations such as when they offshore jobs, for example, or when they situate their investments in tax havens. Essentially, the focus here is to supposedly incentivize job creation and investment within the U.S. and obviously support this ongoing rhetoric that companies have to pay their, quote, fair share in taxes, whatever that's supposed to mean. So on today's episode, we'll talk about both sides. What are the arguments for and against raising the corporate tax rate? So looking at the corporate tax raise, it can be perceived as a way of disincentivizing American business. If the American tax hike is way too high and American companies don't see it fit, they can just move investments and jobs overseas. There's not much stopping them if they have the investing power to do so. JP Morgan did a study that found that more than 600 U.S. multinational companies have at least 60% of their cash in foreign accounts. 
which means that obviously this is already being done and the curve tax hike may even increase this further. So what do you have to say about that, Ryan? Mm -hmm. I agree. Furthermore, lowering the corporate tax rate or keeping them low has actually historically lowered unemployment. For example, the Tax Reform Act of 1986, implemented in July of 1987, lowered the maximum corporate tax rate from 46% to 34%. And up until 1986, the unemployment rate was around 8.6%. And between 1987 and 1991, the unemployment rate actually dropped to 5.9%. Now, we don't know whether this is correlation or causation, but in addition to this, two months after the implementation of the act, 370 companies actually announced that they were increasing employee wages, bonuses, and benefits. So... What this suggests to me is that companies simply don't just absorb bonus profits. Right. So based on that, it could be concluded that raising corporate taxes would cause unemployment to rise and lower worker wages. However, a study in 2020 done by some students at the Northwestern University and the University of Hong Kong and Chicago estimate that the cost of an increase in corporate taxes is actually borne by consumers, workers, and shareholders, each bearing around one-third of an increase in corporate taxes. So this means that corporations aren't actually fully bearing the cost of an increase in taxes, meaning that corporations aren't the only ones affected and they're not the only ones that have to pay their fair share, as we mentioned earlier. So it really has ripple effects that aren't really seen directly. Right. So what Brody just said is this is actually very important because what this study suggests is that corporations don't actually pay corporate taxes. The people do. Just as we stated earlier, how companies don't absorb bonus net profits, if you look at the opposite end, they're unlikely to just take reduced profits as well. The lower revenue from higher taxes results in lower paychecks for individuals in order to offset this tax increase. Now, on the flip end, I think one of the arguments against keeping the corporate tax rate low is that we can't assume companies always act in the best interests to deliver profits to their workers. You know, companies generally retain the doctrine to act in the best interests and deliver profits first and foremost to their shareholders and investors. A Morgan Stanley survey found that 43% of corporate tax cut savings went to investors, while only 13% went into worker benefits. Brody, do you want to talk a little bit more about the pros of raising the corporate tax rate? Actually, Ryan, I have one more con that I'd like to discuss before getting into another pro. Lower corporate income taxes also increase the federal deficit, meaning that less tax, tax revenue means less money for the government to use for other programs. In the seven years following the Tax Reform Act of 1986, the federal deficit increased from 149.7 billion, I can say numbers, to $255 billion, which is a massive increase, almost over $100 billion. You know, Brody, regarding what you just said, I, I think... But the difference here, it's, it's actually more than 100 billion. So, uh... yeah, 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 it's, it's okay. Okay. Now, regarding job creation, the US economy actually added 15 million more jobs in the five years after the Omnibus Bud Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993, which added three more corporate tax brackets, meaning the three 
different like sections, depending on how much a corporation makes in a given year, they'll pay a different amount of tax. And this increased corporate tax rates for corporations making more than $10 million per year. So it's an interesting thing to see where this will go after that. So ultimately, in my opinion, some aspects of raising the corporate tax rate just seems a little counterintuitive. The tax havens that offer the reduced tax rates result in more capital, which incentivizes more investments and expansion of operations there instead of within the U.S., right? So raising our corporate tax rates even higher seems like it would further disincentivize domestic investments. However, we, we did say earlier that part of the Made in America tax plan seems to be trying to negate tax havens as well by introducing a global minimum corporate tax rate and restricting company loopholes. Uh, however, corporate taxes, according to the Wall Street Journal, only support 10% of the federal receipt. So to me, it seems like it would be a lot more efficient and easier to just increase the tax someplace else right? As I stated earlier, or as Brody stated earlier, it's mainly the workers and the investors, not the corporations that bear the burden of actually paying the corporate tax, because it's rarely uh, seen that the corporations themselves are absorbing this bonus or reduced profit. It's always going somewhere else. So those are just some of my concluding thoughts on at least uh, this plan in itself. Brody, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so if you look at the past couple of years, there have been multiple articles outing corporations like Amazon and others for not paying their U.S. taxes because they have found different loopholes around it by going to places in the Caribbean or other places where they don't have to pay the tax rate. What I'm interested in seeing is how strict this is going to be going forward. I think if there are follow-up bills that move and require corporations to start paying uh, these taxes, because there are some that aren't out the gate, like they're just not because they're using some sort of loophole that's allowing them not to pay it, I think that needs to go. They need to get rid of the tax havens. And then once you've done that, I think then you can start to move in on who is actually paying it. I want to see the corporations actually pay the part, not just put it on the workers with lower wages. I think this is a slow, get the ball rolling type of move, rather than a instantly solve the problem more than anything else. So yeah, I want to see where this goes going forward more than where it goes in the next year. Those are some great thoughts, Brody. And I agree, especially with what you said about basically looking at all the steps. I mean, looking at the U.S. corporate tax, looking at the raise. According to Yellen, uh, she said, direct quote, it's about making sure that governments have stable tax systems that raise sufficient revenue to invest in essential public goods and respond to crises, and that all citizens fairly share the burden of financing government, end quote. So just about the bit about like all citizens fairly sharing the burden, again, we stated, right, corporate tax, it's not necessarily actually the corporations that are paying the corporate tax, it's actually the workers and investors. So that in itself is a problem, right? And now you look at the complexity of something such as raising the global corporate minimum tax rate, how would you ensure that this is a secure agreement between 
the countries that are offering these tax havens. Right? These are obviously countries that need the global capital investments right, from the U.S., from Europe. And how would participating in this plan, how can we ensure that they will actually agree to incorporate this into the companies that are invested in these tax havens? How would we ensure that this global tax is agreed upon at the global scale? So Brody, just to top it all off, what are the higher ups saying about this? How are we expecting things to go when the bill has to pass through the Senate eventually? Stuff like that. So it's important to remember that it is still just a bill and is nowhere near coming to a law. And currently what we're seeing is the bill has gone to the Senate and it's gaining support from Democrats who are deeply supporting climate change. But what we're seeing is a larger opposition from Republicans. And while they don't hold the majority in the House nor the Senate anymore, the setting is that Biden put a lot of left Democratic-leaning values first and foremost, and obviously the Republican Party still exists, and they're still fighting for their values. So a lot of what they want is not in the bill, uh, one of these being the pro-union protecting the right to assemble uh, law, which Biden recommended putting into the uh, infrastructure bill. And the problem here is that there's not going to be enough Republicans to get around this to pass it into law. So what I believe is happening, in my opinion, is Biden is negotiating in a way where he put out the high price and he plans to compromise, whatever that means, uh, with the Republicans and get what he really values out of this bill. And that's just my opinion, but I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. Thank you, Brody. That's going to be it for today's podcast. We know it's been a bit of a longer podcast, but it's a big topic. And thanks for joining us on this week's High Volatility Experience.